is that? Jazz. Bastard. Right. Good. I'm recording. Go ahead, Pat. Okay. Well, if we're ready, let's begin Jazz Bastard Podcast 198. As always, I'm Pat. I'm Mike. And we've got a special guest. Could you introduce yourself, special guest? My name is Danny Green. And you have released an album with several other musicians recently. Is that right? Called Heard and Seen by the group LP and the Vinyl. Is that, that right? Is, yep, that's correct. Came, came out uh, back in April on Origin Records. Okay, awesome. cool. So a little background. Let me let me let me throw some background in here. Then Pat, uh, the reason we've asked Danny on was um, Danny and his band are uh, local to San Diego, or at least originated in San Diego. I live in San Diego normally, uh, not right now. And uh, my partner and I, uh, as we were doing one day, we're getting uh, muffins or something, and walked past. I live right by the San Diego Reader office. Grabbed a reader, opened it up. And saw an article about you guys and thought, awesome, this is some new stuff on the San Diego jazz scene. Let's, uh, let's, and then I read the article and I read about the music that you guys do and I got even more intrigued. So awesome. I talked to Pat and we talked to you and here we are, here we are a month, two months later. So, <laughs> Super cool. Yeah. So the reader's good for something. <laughs> that was uh, probably the Robert Bush article, right? I guess, well, yeah. Maybe I mean, a different it was, one. Uh, no, the one I saw was the one announcing the release, and I don't know if it was a full article. I didn't save oh, that. Maybe it, was, the maybe it was a different one then. Uh, I think it was a- about your release. Um, it was like a-, a page, maybe, half a page blurb. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, cool. Yeah. So This is good. Yeah. Um, could you tell us some stuff? I mean, so I, I'm going to... We probably know people in common because if I read rightly, some of you guys work and teach or, or have been associated at least part-time with, with schools I've taught at. So could you tell us a little bit about you guys and the band and where you're all at now? Yeah. So, um, so yeah, we are, we are all local to San Diego. Um, I, I grew up in San Diego, and uh, right now I teach at Grossmont College. I teach a piano class over there. And normally, under under normal circumstances, I, I would also be teaching a clinic that I do with bassist Rob Thorson, and uh, that's for elementary school kids, and, and, and that's through the La Jolla Athenaeum. We talk about the history of jazz. Aside from that, uh, I, I teach at a jazz camp. It's called the Summer Jazz Workshop at Francis Parker. The other bandmates, uh, Justin Grinnell, he's originally from the Bay Area. And uh, he also teaches at Grossmont College and at the University of San Diego. Leonard Patton is the vocalist in the group. Uh, I, th- I forget if he was born here or Los Angeles, but he's lived in San Diego most of his life. I'm not sure. Oh, he's teaching at a high school now. I forget which one. And then Julian Cantelm, uh, originally from, he, he grew up around in Florida and the Bay Area and Pennsylvania and eventually made his way down here, and he teaches private lessons. Cool. Um, yeah, I've taught at both of those places, Grossmont and USD. Cool. Uh, I've noticed, uh, so in the building that I live in uh, back in San I'm not in San Diego now, but the building that I did live in in San Diego, it's like everyone's a teacher. And um, 
my next door neighbor, she's a, a drummer in uh, a number of bands, I guess. And she teaches at one of the local colleges and all of her classes are now Zoom. Uh, are you doing that too? Are you Zooming your piano classes? Yeah. Is, that, is that a thing? That is definitely a thing. And, and it actually worked pretty well. The, the class I teach at Grossmont is just uh, class piano uh, for beginners. And um, it took a little while to figure out how to make it work. But, um, you know, once I got the setup going, then I could show different angles uh, for, on my end and ha- give them decent audio. And I think the best thing on Zoom is being able to do breakouts so, so I could work individually with uh, the pianists. So um, remind me then um, what Justin plays in the trio and what Julian plays. Yeah, Justin plays bass and Julian plays drums. Cool. How'd you guys meet? How'd you hook up? Was it just through you know teaching or in the you know how do, how do people find one another these days when they form a jazz collective? Well, let's see. I met Justin, I think the first time I met him was on a gig at Croce's. He he was part of a band called Yavaz, mm-hmm. and uh, they had a steady gig there, and I got called to sub one night, and that's when I first met him. I don't, I, I, I forget, I don't even really remember it, but but I know it happened. But, um, <laughs> but a little while later, I was, I was looking for a bass player for a trio. We had been rehearsing a lot and I was looking for somebody who was available to rehearse and, and, uh, the drummer pulled in Justin and, and that's when we really started connecting and playing. So that was about 2007. And then, uh, that drummer moved out of town and, uh, we are in search for a new drummer and uh, one w- one day I was doing a rehearsal with another group uh, led by this uh, flute player named Rebecca Kleinman, who moved now to the Bay Area. Somebody in that group knew Julian, and so Julian showed up that night, and we clicked, and I brought him into the trio. That was about 2010. The rest is history. <laughs> what is it like when it, I mean, because um, we're gonna, obviously going to start talking about the, the music you uh, you guys have recorded and the things you suggested for us to listen to, but um, uh, I'm always curious, uh, I, know, I know Pat is too, how, how is, what is it, what, what is it like when it clicks? I mean, obviously, lots of players are really good if they're uh, playing in lots of groups and stuff, but how do you, how do you, how do you know, like, what's, what's the feeling when you're, like, with... And I guess you already had two members, and so you know you play with the drum, and you're like, right, this is it. Like, how do you know? He, I, I guess, just trying to think back of my thoughts back then, like uh, I, I could immediately tell that Julian just had an awesome sense of groove. He was very musical in terms of you know the way he interacts and and listens, and and I could see in that one rehearsal that he was able to learn stuff super super quick. And my music is pretty comp- complex, and you know, take somebody who can, who can learn like a lot of different breaks and hits, and sometimes odd meters. And he was totally into all, all that stuff. Back then, um, for me, I, I, I was all about Brazil, Brazilian jazz, and uh, he, he was relatively new to it. But we, we were rehearsing a Brazilian tune that night and and I could see right away how quickly he picked it up and you know a few months into playing with him he was totally mastered that style and uh so so, I don't know I I mean that's that's one aspect of clicking but the other is personality and I think 
you know, if you want to work with somebody in a group, you got to first and foremost, like the person and both he and Justin are just super nice guys and we get along really well and have lots of, lots of laughs together. So you guys have been together now for, it sounds like about 10 years or going on 10 years. Yeah. What's it like over 10 years? Is, I mean, you must have your ups and downs, but does the, the musical language that you kind of telepathically speak get, you know, more and more fluid and rich and Baroque and complex? Or, you know, is it, I imagine that must be part of what, it, what makes playing that in that circumstance so enriching. I keep waiting for the same thing to happen with Pat, but it hasn't happened yet. <laughs> Someday. Well, yeah, it's, I mean, it's definitely been an awesome uh, trip working with Justin and Julian for 10 years. Um, I guess, what, 13 with Justin, but j- just as a trio, I mean, I think over time, the chemistry definitely just keeps getting better and th- things change over time too. Like like I said, we were playing a lot of Brazilian music at the beginning. Uh, we started to get away from that little by little. I think after we did an album called After the Calm, which had a lot of Brazilian music. And then uh, the next one was called Altered Narratives. And some of the grooves were Brazilian influenced, but it wasn't so overtly Brazilian in in the influence. And uh, then like the next one, even less so. And we got into more like just kind of open grooves that just seem to have more space and more room for interaction. So, yeah, I I, I don't know. We, we, we've just had, like, lots of different phases musically of things we're interested in. And uh, it, it's, it's just nice playing with people that you know, like, you have that chemistry, you know how, we're, how they're going to interact. I, I, like, I know that they're going to catch certain things I'm going to do, and I'll probably catch things that they're going to do. And at the same time, we're also like each one of us is on our own journey of uh, exploring, learning music and taking in new things. So it's fun over time to see those other influences coming into what we do. Cool. Sorry, Pat, I don't want to monopolize the conversation. So No, it's, it's okay. It's cool. It's, it's like 95 here. So I'm <laughs> slowly going into a coma and no fault of our guests. It's just a... What's happening here? So this project, though, that, that, that you've uh, shared with us very generously is a, very different from those trio projects, which I love to hear, because when you talk about your own compositions and the different co- uh, compound meters and the rest of it, you know, a very different vibe from this, which is largely a covers album, if not exclusively. Is it all covers? There's two originals on here. Okay. Yeah. And which ones? Which 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 ones are those? That's oh come a, on, Pat. We can guess. Can't we guess? Can't we guess? <laughs> oh, you want to guess? All right, Mike. Just knock yourself out, buddy. Uh, the Lonely Band. That's an original. That's an original. Yep. And then that's a good uh, one. I think. Uh, oh, so it either is. Uh, I can't help it or Night Waltz. I think it's got to be Night Waltz. No, wait. One hundred ways. Oh shit. Which one is it? 
<laughs> I don't it's, know. Uh, no, it's, it's Night Waltz. Okay. Yeah, 100 Ways I definitely had heard somewhere else. Yeah, that's uh, Quincy Jones. Ah. Uh, I don't okay. think he wrote it, but it came out on his album called The Dude. Compliment what she does. Send her roses just because. If it's violins she loves, let them play. Her favorite song and hold her closer all night long. I think the internet thinks he wrote it, so that's close enough. Exactly. But uh, yeah, that's the one where, like, she has to get the Kama Sutra at the very end to please him because, you know, he's got a different hundred different ways she's got (laughs) to come up with. So, and then, uh, yeah, I Can't Help It was Stevie Wonder. Right, ah, right, right. Okay. Yeah, because, I mean, The Lonely Band is a very good song, and, you know, I'm old enough that if I don't recognize a song, I just assume it's because I'm old. I, I don't, you know, <laughs> how, would I, how would I know? I mean, you know. But this obviously involved a fourth member of the group, right, or at yes. least a guest. Uh, yeah. So, so who was the singer on this on this project? Uh, so Leonard Patton is the singer, and, and that's why we're LP in the vinyl. Ah. And he wrote the lyrics for that song. Is your trio performing as the vinyl? Is that? I guess I don't know. <laughs> okay, all right. It was just a cool. We uh, we labored over a band name for like months. Several several tours were like we need a we need a name we need a name and finally, I think Justin came up with this one and it was the only one that we could all agree on. I uh, see. Cool. Well, I you know I, as soon as I saw the name of the band, I was like, oh, Pat's gonna love this because. Uh, <laughs> Pat is Pat is one of those audiophiles who oh, cool. ha- has done the whole gamut and has gone back to the vinyl and so uh, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah right on yeah, cool. I was tempted to buy a mug that said the plural of vinyl is vinyl but I resisted <laughs> <laughs> nice young people and their vinyls I just, oh, what does that even mean yeah well it was it, it's interesting it is a medium of the moment right now it's kind of having a resurgence. Uh, and I guess Spiders from Mars was taken. So, um, have you guys been together long? Is is this uh, a new relationship, or or how how did you discover your vocalist? How did that happen? Well, Le- Leonard's like a, he's been around the San Diego scene for a very long time, and we you know even, even though like I I had the trio like Justin, Julian, and I all play with different people in San Diego all the time. That's just part of being a jazz sure. musician, a w- working musician. And, uh, you know, Leonard is somebody that all of us have worked with, you know, either the three of us with Leonard or like I've done things with Leonard and different bassist and drummer. Um, we, we play a lot with Peter Sprague, who uses Leonard on a lot of his um, concerts. So, you know, we, we've known him for a long time. Um, I have an agent named Marion Leibowitz. And uh, she came up with the idea of forming this group. Um, she she had been booking the trio and get, get, getting some nice gigs for us. But a lot of the work she does, that her, a lot of her clients prefer vocal, um, you know, m- music with vocals rather than instrumental. I think uh, the jazz market's 
a little, you know, it's it's a different market. So so she thought this would be a great way for us to, you know, still be able to play jazz, but also be able to, you know, bring in some some of those opportunities to perform, and and, and that definitely happened for us. Right. Can you say a little bit more about that? I mean, I've, I've now been in San Diego for 20 years. Um, I'm back in the Midwest with family at the moment. but um, And, you know, for a long time it was Crochies and Dizzies. And that's all that I was really aware of, um, apart from the series that get put on at um, from time to time at, like, UCSD Art Power in the recent years and so forth. Mm-hmm. What's the scene like in San Diego, you know, uh, outside of the Gilbert Castellanos Young Lions, you know, circle? What's it look like? <laughs> right now, it doesn't look like much of anything, but... Um, <laughs> <laughs> right, right, of course, of course. But uh, COVID <clears throat> aside, um, I, you know, there's there's lots of jam sessions that were happening. Um, you know, there was a Tuesday night or Monday night one at Rosie O'Grady's, I, I, I think, Shortly before COVID, it got moved um, to another location. Uh, there was another one at Blind Lady Ale House. Of course, oh, I Gilbert- know Blah. I, I didn't yeah. realize they had a night there. Yeah, wow. they did. That 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 was Thursdays, and and, and that's same owner as Panama sixty sixty six. Oh, jeez. Of course, that's right. I actually um, uh, I don't know, but I know who the owner is. I, I was introduced to the owner a million years ago at, at Blind Lady. Right. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah, super nice guy. Yeah. Um, and then um, what else? I mean, there's uh, the, the, there's some bigger gigs, you know, that are sometimes local, sometimes not. Like Jazz eighty eight point three has their Jazz Live every month. And right. then um, what else? There's the Athenae Music and Art Library has their mini concert series every Monday at the Athenaeum and at the and at the Lyceum Theater, alternating. Right. Uh, different libraries, like Encinitas Library, has series put on by the friends of the Encinitas Library. Now that I didn't know about, but that's a that's a hike for some of us who yeah. actually live who live in the Berg. But yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, it's a bit of a hike, but um, man, that one of my favorite pianos in town over there. Beautiful, <laughs> beautiful Steinway. So, so it's worth the hike. <laughs> all right, I'll, I'll, I'm, I'm jotting all of this down so that when I come back, you know, and, yeah. and life returns to normal, I'll definitely be keeping an eye on some of these things. So we asked you to, to throw some stuff at us to listen to that, you know, is kind of influential or kind of was important to you or it had something to do with your formation or your sound or just kind of uh, help us grok what you were into a little bit more. And um, can you tell us a little bit about the selections you picked for us for us to have a, a listen to? Yeah, sure. Well, uh, you know, as you guys know, first I came up with uh, a huge list, and it could have been even huger. <laughs> it's so hard to like boil it, boil it down into like three albums, which is what I ended up doing. We, but, our spouses would kill us if we 
got all the stuff that we didn't have on your list. But, you know, yeah. it's, it was certainly tempting. Uh, yeah, yeah. And, man, I mean, there's probably so much more that I left out there. But uh, when, when, I, when I gave you the three, I was just trying to think of, uh, you know, not necessarily th- three albums that I listen to every day anymore, uh, but j- just albums that maybe a song or two, like, r- really grabbed me or influenced me. So the first one that... I think I put was Brad Meldow's Art of the Trio 4. And uh, Brad Meldow has been a longtime favorite pianist of mine. Uh, right. You know, among several others. But uh, I, I absolutely love what he does and think he's taken the tradition and just taken it in so many new different directions. And he constantly keeps finding new places to go with it, which is uh, very admirable. Is it is it fair to say he's someone that... I, uh young and up-and-coming pianist in, in, in jazz today now just he's like the go-to guy for that previous generation like you just have to grapple with him or no probably i mean I, th- there's uh, i can't speak for all pianists but I, mm-hmm. I think a lot of the younger pianists um have studied him and have been influenced by his playing okay yeah he, you know he he opened up He's not the only one. Uh, you right. know, he he, he kind of he studied. I know he studied some with Fred Hirsch, who's who's another one that yeah. I highly regard. And you know, both of them are have opened up things quite a bit with what you can do with your left hand and bringing counterpoint into jazz more. Right. And improvising, you know, with both hands, just in different ways that weren't happening quite as much before them. Cool. So yeah, yeah I well, think. Mike is Mike is a well-known Brad Meldow super fan. He's he's actually uh, one of the few people that owns a Brad Meldow body pillow. Yeah. <laughs> he likes to wake with that frown right next to him you know, in the morning. <laughs> we 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 uh, we make a lot of jokes about about Brad Meldow here, but I, I am like an insane fan of his stuff. And he was one of the first jazz musicians where at a certain point, uh, some of the music just kind of like got locked in my, uh, subconscious, you know, mm-hmm. not, not, you know, not, not everything. And, and it takes a long time with new stuff. For, when I listen to his new stuff, it takes a while for it, for it to kind of hit that point. But he was one of the first jazz players where I was like, Oh, I, I get this you know just as a as a listener but it it took a long time um did you have some early favorite records of his you know i've always liked the art of the trios i thought they were just exceptional and i've you know avidly collected all of those Mm -hmm. um and then when he when he started doing some when he you know he started stretching out and doing some some weirder stuff like largo that that uh you know when he started you know playing xylophone and then um uh, doing some different instrumentation, uh, larger groups. Uh, I still followed, you know, I'm still a completist. I long to own everything on which he has uh, been a leader or a sideman. 
Mm-hmm. I, I, I have almost all the leader dates, but the sideman dates escape me. There's just so many at this point. But yeah, so I, you know, I started with the trio stuff, and then I like a lot of the, you know, the early Warner stuff that he did with Joshua Redman. Mm-hmm. Um, he has several dates with those guys, and he will uh, from time to time appear on on those guys' uh, albums. I, I always I always dug that. I'm less of a fan of the the Pat Metheny uh, stuff. Um, yeah, just, yeah, just same here. Didn't, didn't click for me. Um, I thought I, I sometimes wondered if it was we we talked about one of them on the, on one of our podcasts, and I, I sort of thought maybe it was yeah, like yeah. a a commercial move on his part because Melville's just been crushing it uh, for years, but hadn't. Um, it, it, just not a big crossover success in some ways. I don't know if he wants to be, uh, and at a certain point, I, I suppose he doesn't give a shit. Um, <laughs> but, you know, Pat Metheny is, to an earlier generation, fusion generation of jazz fans, he's God. And so I wondered if some of that was like some sort of trying to cross-pollinate each other's fan base. I don't know. It didn't work for me. I didn't like it as much. I mean, it's, you know, they're both good, but I didn't feel like it struck fire uh, quite, for me anyway. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm so, a big fan of anything goes in that it. Yeah. I, I will say that this particular uh, Art of the Trio one, he is just about as OCD as he gets, which is saying something. I mean, it, this is a tightly wound record. There's yes. a lot of really intense vivisection of various songs to the degree that it kind of. It's like my fingernails are in my palms sometimes because he really is just digging in there. And, uh, you know, I'd say some of the efforts where he's a little less clenched. I probably like better, but it's amazing. You know, I mean, what he's doing is always jaw dropping. It's just, Brad, take it easy. It's only a song. It's okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess this one, I'm, I guess this one, and I think five are both live. Yeah. Which, you know, I, I know um, he's, uh, I'm pretty, I forget. I, I did a CD with Matt Pearson, who I believe produced, I don't know if he produced all of those or, or some of them, mm-hmm. but, um, you know, I, I remember him talking about just, you know, when when you're recording like a studio album, you you really gotta like take maybe like way less courses and you know than you would in a live situation, and and then you don't have the energy of the audience. So so it's it's such a different playing situation playing live. And 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 I I I guess for me like I I love how he's going for it on on Art of the Trio Four, uh, the. The the my favorite one is I'll be seeing you, and mm. I just love he, he just opens up with like a very simple motif and just develops that throughout the whole solo and I, I love the build of it. Solar is another one that it's pretty amazing. You're you're picking the shorter songs on the, the on shorter the... ones. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. I you know I mean uh, I like Nice Pass a lot, but mm-hmm. I mean I'm with Pat. I'm sometimes exhausted at the end of a Maldow number. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, 
No, he he sometimes will take you know like he'll take a Beatles song you know Mother Nature's Son and just crucify it. I mean, I love listening to what he's doing, but I mean, basically, it's like a it's almost the simpler the template, the more room he has to you know splice in pieces of Bach or whatever he's been listening to, you know. And at a certain point, I'm like, where was what, what, did Lennon and McCartney have anything to do with this? Where you know where are we now? It's it's pretty gets pretty far out. And sometimes I like that better than others. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Yeah. What I, what I was gonna say is that. To, to me, I just need to be like in the right listening space to take in, especially the longer cuts. Yeah, I've, I've, uh, th- there's been times where I've showed like various Meldau recordings to to students or friends, and and sometimes I'm kind of like hurried to show them something like really cool, and I'm looking and looking, and you know, obviously, obviously, there's lots of cool things throughout. But it, if you're not like listening to the full arc of the recording and and really like dedicating yourself to listening to it, um, so, sometimes that gets lost too. Yeah. I also, when Pat said, uh, I forget the name of it, A Day is Death. What did you mention, Pat? What album did you mention? What album? Uh, Anything yeah. Goes. Anything Goes. You know, I love the original trio, but I, I, and when Jeff Ballard switched in on drums, I initially thought, oh, no. And then I was like, oh, yes. I, <laughs> I, I, I'm a big fan of Ballard in that trio. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, the Jorge's are, uh, sorry, uh, the Rossi's are great, but my goodness, he brings a, a kickier rock feel almost to some of the stuff. And I always thought that was a good thing with Meldau. Uh, so anyway. Blah, mm-hmm. blah, blah. Cool. So what's up next? I What's oh, sorry. And, uh, um, what, yeah, tell us more about, uh, I mean, so based on what you've said, it sounds like the Alexander, Alexandre Andres, um, and I, I, you know, I could pretend to try and pronounce that, but it would be more fun to have Pat try it. Um, it would be. The name of... Uh, I'm not going to, but it would be. <laughs> which is Pat's way of saying he won't do it. Makashera Fields, something like that? Yeah, I think it's Makashera Makasheda. Okay, Makasheda. Yeah. Um, you, you had talked about your Brazilian uh, influence. How did that come about? How did you suddenly get into Brazilian music? Was that something you always had? Or? Well, uh, let's see. I, I, I guess toward my senior year of high school, which was back in 2000, um, I, I went to see the Buena Vista Social Club movie. Uh-huh. And uh, that, that got me into a whole Cuban music cuban music kick for a while and and i think just kind of getting into that music it naturally led to me getting into brazilian music and so um the next year i went to ucsd and uh, they, they had a class on brazilian music which exposed me to a lot more you know at, at that time like I, I got exposed to artists like caetano veloso and javan and and uh those were the Napster days too. So, like, anytime I oh, liked yeah. a song, like, were you there when the UCSD Napster scam broke? Were you at UCSD then? Maybe is that the year that students they, got arrested? Like oh. Napster 
Napster cracked down. Or sorry, uh, there was a there was the RIAA cracked down on Napster at UCSD. Wow. That happened in the in the first decade of the 2000s. There were students who were caught up in that. I probably was there. <laughs> How cool! Sorry, crazy. Um, did you uh, did you study with any of the the folks there in the music department in the jazz field when you were there? Uh, yeah, I did. So so the main guy that I studied with was Kamal Kenyatta. Mm-hmm. who I, I don't know if you guys know who he is. He's a great, great pianist and saxophonist, and um, he, he's also known as a producer. He's produced uh, Gregory Porter's albums. Ah, okay. Right, right. We've, Gregory Porter's another San Diego guy. He went mm-hmm. to uh, SDSU uh, a long, long time ago. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I did a restaurant gig with him for a little while over here. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> right, in, in Ken- Kensington. Did he ever remove oh, the yeah. hat, or was the hat always on? God, I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> okay, don't worry about it. I think it was on, but I'm, I'm not we're, sure. We're, we're, we're mildly obsessed with the hat. Don't worry. I mean, it's not a big <laughs> deal. Um, so, yeah, tell us more about Alexandre Andres. Well, um, so I, I came to know about him through Andre Mamari, who plays piano and produced that album several years ago many years ago now i guess i i, I was doing a uh radio show of Bra- brazilian music I, I only did it for maybe like five episodes before i i just realized it wasn't my thing but in, in that short time uh, it, it was a great opportunity to reach out to brazilian artists and you know play their music and uh just you know chat with them a little bit and i think I, I had met Andre Mamari at a gig he did in San Diego, a c- concert he did here. Um, so, so we were acquaintances. And, and so I played his music, and then I asked him if he had any recommendations. And he recommended checking out this Alexandre Andres album, which I did. And I just fell in love with it. No llores con tanta razón Deja mejor llorar al corazón Niña no llores con tanta razón Deja mejor llorar al corazón Llena tus sueños de realidad Dile al dolor And what about it? Uh, uh, it's so important for you. I mean, uh, sorry, that sounds skeptical. I don't mean it to. I just, I was just curious what, 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 uh, what, what works for you because I guess he plays what he plays guitar and flute. Is that right? And he sings as yeah, well. Yeah, that that right. is right. Uh huh. I, I I guess one thing. I mean, there there's so much great Bra- Brazilian music out there, and you know, there's the very typical rhythms that we, we all know, like bossa and, and samba. Um, but this album really, in general, like gets into all sorts of other uh, rhythms that you know don't have to be pigeonholed into one, one style. Uh, so you know, from a rhythmic standpoint, uh, there, there, there's a lot of variety in the album. And, and, and j- just like my group, you know, I, I told you I was getting away from like playing a lot of traditional Brazilian music and, and more into these like kind of floaty open rhythms. Like I, I was hearing a lot of that in this album as well. The orchestration I think is brilliant. Uh, it, 
I, I think I think Alexandri is the son of uh, I don't know the person's name, but I think he's in a group called Oh shoot, I'm forgetting. But n- n- another group out of Brazil that does all sorts of cool cool stuff. But yeah, I guess the main thing I'm trying to say is that just the orchestration on there is so cool. And and that, that's one thing that grabbed me a lot. The other thing is uh, that I love singers. I, I love, um, you know, I, I do like a lot of instrumental jazz, but it seems like the music that I keep coming back to is uh, music with vocalists, Beatles, Stevie Wonder, or, or you know, some more modern artists lately like Becca Stevens or Jacob Collier. And uh, a lot of uh, my favorite Brazilian singers are featured on, on this Macacheira Fields album. So who's on there besides uh, besides Andres? Well, I guess the the I, I said a lot, <laughs> but the the two that like I had been a big fan of prior to knowing this album. One is Tatiana Paha, who I believe is on this. I want to say the second track, Agua Ciru, mm-hmm. and and then uh, Monica Salmaso is is the other one that uh, is on there. Na escuridão, tumultuando a luz da lua azul Sobre o bambuzal, chuva de se ouvir Saia e sinta a doçura desse aguaceiro sobre si Caia a chuva pesada, lavando as penas de um cristão And then uh, Andre, I think Andre Mamari sings a little bit on there, and um, and I know Alexandri sings on there as well. And there might be an artist out of Argentina who's on there. And then can you tell us just a little bit uh, about um, the third thing you picked? Uh, so warm the cockles of Pat's heart. <laughs> Pat loves him some yeah. chick. Yeah, I've been a big fan of Chick Corea's music for quite a while. This, you know, it's hard to choose a favorite Chick album, just as it is hard to choose a favorite Meldau album. And and I, I don't know if this one is necessarily my favorite Chick Corea album, um, The Ultimate Adventure, but um, it, it it's a really great collaboration with s- some musicians out of Spain. Whatever phase of mine that I've been in, I've I've always loved the idea of taking jazz elements and mixing them with uh, music from different places, and uh, that definitely happens quite a bit on this album. Um, you know, you hear a lot of flamenco influence, you hear a lot of Middle Eastern influence, and of course, there's the chick influence that. Yeah, you know, it's it's right. his album, and and his his voice is so strong so strong on everything he does. 
I figured uh, Pat would have some strong reactions because it has not one, but two flute players, which is a quick way to Pat's heart, normally speaking. Right, yeah, there's, um, it's an interesting piece. There was some blowback to it because it's apparently based on an L. Ron Hubbard story. And depending on your reactions to Scientology, for some people that's a red flag. So I saw at least one review that was just so bitter about Hubbard that it didn't really say much about the music. I, I thought it was enjoyable. I mean, it's it's epic, and there's a lot of rhythmic stuff going on in there, and sometimes it's a little bit overwhelming. Sometimes it works really beautifully. I think I tend to be a little winded by the end of it. Maybe if I come in in the middle, I do better, you know, break it into halves. But it was one I never heard of. I mean, he's so prolific, it's kind of hard to keep track of his whole oeuvre. And, you know, I've really been looking at some of the early stuff he did where it was more avant-garde and, you know, some of the early ECM stuff where he got much mellower, but you know, like the duets with Burton or whatever. So this was a different, you know, a world. I, I did p- dig up an old LP of My Spanish Heart, but I've kind of, I, I think, is Gad on that one as well? I can't remember. But Steve Gad's on this along with a host of other percussionists, right? Yeah, it's like four drummers, three drummers, and Erto Moreira's on it, a bunch of percussionists. Yeah, it's a lot of percussion. Uh, are you are you drawn to the idea of of getting inspiration from fiction? I mean, not necessarily Hubbard, but whoever, or is that just is it more about the blending of the cultural material with the jazz? Yeah, definitely the the latter. Okay. Yeah, I, I didn't. I, I knew I knew that this album was based on 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 that, uh, but for me, it's always been about the music. Yeah. And and I think you know, l- like the other albums. Um, there's been few songs on this album that particularly grabbed my attention. One is the opening movement of uh, Three Ghouls, which um, yes, <laughs> it's just a it weird. It doesn't sound one. ghoulish, you know. It's yeah. It sure does, yeah. and 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 I guess uh, you know, like earlier on in in my trios uh, history, we. I, I used to uh, transcribe a lot of pieces off of people like Chick Corea or off of uh, Chico Pinero or Jovino Santos Neto, like, like just various artists. And in that, what the repertoire we played was a mix of uh, so- songs that I had arranged off of recordings in in original music. And uh, Three Goals was one of the pieces that I transcribed, and it oh, was okay. always just such a bear to play. <laughs> Not not an easy one, and but 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 fun. It's it's a short piece. No, no improv on that first part either, and and that's the only part we did. But just kind of fun tapping into those different six eight grooves. And then the other one that we played was King and Queen. Thank you. 
which just has some really killer lines between the piano and the flute, like cool harmonies between them and cool like 16th note rhythms. So th- those are the two pieces that, you know, I've I've mostly that I've like really gotten into and and performed and just learned a lot from. The rest of it, like I I like listening to the album. It's not again not my very favorite album in the world to put on, but every time I I listen, I'm amazed by what's on there and dig the grooves. A chick seems just to have infinite technique. He can pretty much do anything he wants. So there's that sense of you know ease that whatever he's gonna play, he's he's fine doing it. You know, I, it was struck me as as we've been talking about jazz records for the last ten years or so, almost at and maybe it's eight. One thing that struck me is how eagerly press responds to any kind of narrative uh, about an album, because a story about the musician, or in this case, the story that the musician based the album on, is, is something easier to write about and grasp, especially, especially for someone who isn't that much into music, as opposed to talking about the music. You know, that gets trickier. Not everybody has a shared vocabulary. Uh, not everybody has a shared competence. And so there's this, you know, focus on what to me was if you completely retitled every song in this album with no references whatsoever to Hubbard's fiction, I think it would work just as well. I don't, I don't agonize over the fact it's supposed to be about these stories. I, again, I don't, I don't hear three ghouls and think about flesh eating monsters. Right. <laughs> Maybe I'm missing something. It's that lonely man Been down for days Trying to set himself free But they can't hear The sound of these peace He's gotta be heard and seen But there ain't even nobody listening To the sound he breathes Cause he's just lonely bringing it back to your latest project, is that something that your agent has worked on? Is there a story she wants you to tell about this project and where you found these songs in this group or a, a story that she's trying to kind of, and I'm not trying to be critical, but I was curious, you know, how is she framing what this album's about or how are you guys framing what it's about? Yeah, well, um, I, I don't think she's really had too much of a role in terms of uh, like, like what we chose for the album. Um, you know, she, she's been absolutely amazing at like helping us kind of develop uh, our marketing, you know, for uh, right. getting gigs More and stuff. Gigs. But, but in yeah. terms of uh, the direction on this album, uh, she wasn't so involved. I think this album, you know, we just kind of took, we, we wanted to mix the three different areas that we focus on, which are original music and uh, jazz standards. There's two, two on this album and uh, jazz renditions of pop music. And so we, it's really just kind of a compilation of songs we like. Um, okay. <laughs> yeah. Right. Not not too much of a story behind this one. Some of my previous albums, uh, like Altered Narratives, for instance, uh, it, it's all original music. And um, a lot of the titles had to do with things going on in my life, like at the time that I wrote the songs. You know, th- those titles might not necessarily resonate with listeners, 
you know, to, to them, the music can mean anything. And like you said, you could change the title and it might just be, you know, it could be just as well. But for me, you know, like just thinking of, like I have one song called Porcupine Dreams, which was uh, written right after my son had his first nightmare about a porcupine. Or (laughs) every every song has like a little story. So it just kind of puts, reminds me of whatever was happening when I play it. And and I'm, it gives me something to think about outside of music when I'm, when I'm playing the song. And, And I think, in some way that can draw out some different inspiration. Yeah. You got to know the lyrics or maybe the theme, you know, various musicians have argued when you're playing a ballad, it's good to know you're not necessarily reproducing a vocal, but it's just, you know, it's something to think about or an emotional center. So how do you go about choosing some of these covers? I mean, that's probably, it's something that we both stressed. I probably obsessed over it more than Mike that it, Jazz at some point largely severed itself from contemporaneous contempor- contemporary. Let's use a simple word that makes sense. <laughs> popular culture, right? In other words, Ellington, Armstrong, cover songs of the day. You know, when Charlie Parker's playing "Slow Boat to China," he's he, everybody in the room knows it. It's 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 a recent hit. Mm-hmm. And then at some point, after enough jazz camps and and Jamie Ambersall books and whatever. Everybody started playing things that those musicians were playing 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago, and you don't hear so many covers of contemporary music. So these aren't necessarily brand new tunes, but they are newer than, say, Cole Porter. So how do you go about choosing them? Was it was it mainly you? Was it the vocalist? Was it all of you as a team? How do you pick out the, the covers here? Well, uh, let's see. Uh, it, it's kind of a mix. Some of them Leonard had brought, uh, like, like for instance, I'm just looking through the list. Second one on there is Life of Mars by David Bowie. And uh, we, we were doing a gig right at right after David Bowie died. And ah. Leonard called that tune. And, and, you know, we have it like on, on our phones. We have uh, the iReal Pro app, which has chord, chord changes for thousands of songs. So we all pulled that up, and I, I didn't even know the song at the time, but we played it, and and I liked it, and then we didn't play it again for for like another year or two, and uh, then uh, I, I just kind of remembered it on one gig. I said, "Hey, let's try that one again," and we played it, and uh, Julian Julian was uh, really into a bad plus recording of that song, and. Uh, Mm-hmm. So yeah, we we just kind of came up with our own arrangement of that one as a group. Um, next one's "Full on the Hill." That's one that I r- arranged, and I, I love the Beatles, and um, I, I, I've done a lot of playing with Peter Sprague, who's arranged a ton of Beatles songs, and so so uh, I guess the influence is coming out of Peter's. Uh, Peter's uh, method of like kind of taking, leaving the melody as sacred and, and everything else from there can change. So, uh, you know, here I changed it into a 6-8 groove, came up with uh, like a few different interludes and intros and out- outros. Wonderwalls, one that Leonard brought in uh, from Oasis. Uh, it's a song that I I never heard until we played it, but I know it's a very popular one. <laughs> And then uh, doesn't Paul Anka do that? Is Paul Anka is that one of his Mike? Remember we did that Paul I, Anka. I, I, yeah, I think it rock, is. Uh, jazz swing, rock swing. He, he does it as a, he does it as a swing, big band oh, swing okay. arrangement. I think cool. that's right. 
Pretty yeah. sure. Yes, I think that's right. Yes. Uh, if you've never heard that album, no. Uh, he does things to Nirvana that probably aren't legal, but oh. <laughs> it's pretty amusing. Funny. I'll have to check it out. Welcome to your life There's no turning back Even while we sleep We will find you acting on your best behavior Turn your back on Mother Nature Everybody wants to What else? Like we have Everybody Wants to Rule the World. That's another one Leonard brought in and arranged. And, you know, we had just been playing it on gigs for for a long time, some of which are like real background gigs. But you know, a, a, as we developed into more of a group, it became more like concerts that we did and touring. And uh, that, that's generally how the material came into the group, just songs that any one of us would pull, bring in and we try out. And uh, over time, they just get more and more nuanced wow so yeah it's just, it's fascinating to hear about you know i've i've got our real pro i don't i don't really have I, I mainly just have the kind of the the real book standards on it i don't have like rock stuff because it just wouldn't make sense to me mm-hmm. to try to play that by myself on saxophone somehow i don't know i just you know but um being you know a song that you weren't familiar with this you know looking up the chord changes and saying let's go you know yeah. it would have been really cruel to do that to the vocalist because it is a, it's one of Bowie's more challenging songs he likes he seems to pick out songs with some intervallic leaps there he likes the the ones that go up and down a bit so i mean that one was tough it, it it's to me it's Bowie is so histrionic on it that you know, it's, if you're getting anywhere close to what he's doing, you're just reminded of the super intense, you know, super fae version of it. But, um, yeah, it was an interesting choice. I mean, I never heard a jazz version of that. Uh, we had a, a somebody else did Everybody Wants to Rule the World recently. I can't, can't remember the name, but yeah, I, I can't either, but it, it I was, totally remember it that. It was like a, a Croatian woman married to a brilliant drummer who did a song all about women. And that was one of the covers on it. Uh, and so it was a very yeah. different, much slicker version. I mean, I feel like this was, was your goal more or less kind of, this doesn't sound like a club date, but, but a good studio version of that sound, right? I mean, are, are you, are you guys live on that? I'm sorry. Yeah. It's not, no, we, we are performances. live on everything. I, I, I guess <laughs> you are. It, it's just very, you don't let the crowd overwhelm it. Yeah. I'm remembering now polite, quiet, but not, you know, it's, it's not noisy. It's not, it's, it sounds real clear. That's okay. I'm sorry. I was focusing mainly on the songs, but like, yeah. So you, you didn't go in for like, you're not multi-tracking, you're not doing that kind of stuff, right? No, we didn't do any of that. I, I was considering on uh, adding some st- strings on a few tracks, but we, we ended up deciding against it. Okay. Yeah, well, it was, you know, because the, of, the, of the three albums we listened to, two of them I think of as being in their own ways fairly arranged. I mean, the, the one whose name I cannot speak, you know, very lush layered production mm-hmm. and then the korea as his projects go i mean it, it's it's not you know an acoustic trio it's you know lots of elements going on there he's got the whole panoply of keyboards mm-hmm. is, is that something you've experimented with with lots of different keyboards or do you mainly no. stick with piano yeah ma- mainly piano 
So you're stuck with whatever the club has. That's why certain clubs are on your good books and certain clubs <laughs> are your black books because the piano exactly. sucks there, right? Yeah. Oh, man. You you know it. I mean, even, uh, you know, sometimes like nice festivals, like you don't always get the nicest piano or <laughs> sometimes you get right. great ones. It's, it's hit or miss. Yeah, well, our theory is they go from, you know, concert-level perfect pianos down to what we call the Sun Raw piano. And that's the one that sounds like it was set on fire and, <laughs> and the rain and, you know. Um, so, yeah, it's something I've heard a lot about piano players just struggling with, that, that just every gig, you're the only one that's given a different instrument, right? Because well, I mean, no, players, I, I, mean, I know, it's, it's yeah. When, when we're on the road, you know, like Justin always gets a bass and more often than not, he's not happy with the bass he gets. Oh, okay. And, okay. uh, so he just, he does not travel with his bass. Okay. No, it's really expensive to fly with, uh, with, uh, oh, an upright yeah. bass. When, when we tour in the West coast, then, then we usually, usually drive and then he'll bring his bass and he's happy. And Julian gets his drums and he's happy. Um, but otherwise, right. it's all kind of the roulette wheel of doom. Totally. Don't know what you're totally. So what kinds of places do you guys end up playing? I mean, when people were playing uh, on the West Coast, have you been able to get out on the road much uh, before, you know, the pandemic? Was that an important part of the of the of the trio's experience? Yeah, a very important part of the experience. I think we started touring in. 2015 and uh, the first couple tours were just California like going up to the Bay Area playing San Jose and San Francisco and Oakland um, and you know some awesome clubs over there like the the sound room in Oakland and uh, what's it called in San Jose I'm, I'm blanking on the name but uh, j- j- just you know really great places up there and and then Los Angeles we'd play at the Blue Whale quite a bit and then right. we expanded into Arizona, and then then we flew out, played in Seattle, and then did a few trips out to the East Coast. Little by little. Oh, What's go ahead. The, sorry, uh, sorry. You said Arizona. What's the jazz scene in Arizona like? Where where is the jazz scene in Arizona? I have no clue where it is. I I, I think actually there's um there is somewhat of a scene in Phoenix, but we, we, we've. Okay. We've just played uh, with LP and the Vinyl. We've played at uh, Chandler Center for the Arts, which is a nice big theater oh, yeah, out okay. there. But th- there's a place yeah. called the Nash. I've, I haven't played there, but I think that's the big jazz club in Phoenix. Um, Yuma, mm. we've been out to a couple times. They have a series that happens every year, and uh, then we've played in Tucson. And then, uh, you know, little by little, like as things started picking up with uh, with our agent Marion, she 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 got us uh, maybe two years ago now uh, a beautiful tour out in the East Coast. Um, actually, two. One was playing on uh, in a, in Long Island with uh, the trio with 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 a string quartet, and then a few other dates on the east coast on another tour and but b- both of those were just so fun we played in bethlehem and uh, wilmington delaware at the art museum over there just awesome place so so touring's been big for the trio and then um a- as lp and the vinyl we've done a couple shows in san diego but actually funny enough like the main playing we've done has been on the road uh, the last one we did was playing the Telluride Jazz Festival and the Veiled Jazz Festival last summer. 
and those were mm. just so so fun. Nice, nice, cool. Yeah, I've got to admit, uh, phrases like art gallery and concert are kind of triggers for me right now. Yeah, but <laughs> at some point, <laughs> someday, 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 those things will come back. I can't wait. <laughs> oh, I, I, I can't even imagine. I mean, I. I I work for a lawyer, and of course, lawyers write the law, so lawyers decided they were essential workers, so there's been no interruption in what I'm doing, but mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I can't. It's just, yeah, it's brutal to think about. My wife's a teacher, and again, trying to think of teaching remotely, at least she's teaching economics, but um, yeah, I cannot imagine trying to teach music remotely with, <laughs> as you said, the time delay and the speeding up and slowing down as a student. So. Yeah, you know, it's... Uh, Signal gets better and worse. Definitely has its challenges. One thing I love to do with my jazz piano students is, is you know, trade with them, like take a solo and then, uh, or, or play eight bars and have them play while I accompany them. And I can't do that anymore. Um but uh you know there have been a couple advantages of being able to share a screen and and you know work on composition with some students together while while we look at uh my screen working on Sibelius um i don't know mm. maybe, maybe i'm just trying to be positive i guess we could do that together too <laughs> Right. Trying to make right. the, the good most thing of is it. How you do can, you guys you can just mute the bad ones i mean that's that's a real <laughs> advantage right yeah. you know mm. You're doing great, Johnny. guys work rehearsals during this time are are you able to are, are you in each other's bubbles not really no? um like uh I, my family we, we've been very very strict about like staying quarantined same with justin and uh we, we just just haven't played at all i mean we, we didn't really rehearse much anyways it we just played mm. on gigs and if we had private gigs that was kind of the rehearsal um Right. But uh yeah, now you know, now it's just been about uh l- l- like for me I've been keeping busy doing uh concerts on Facebook every now and then just solo piano. What else? Uh we, we I did a few uh solo recordings layering. Like I play a little guitar and I've I've never really played guitar in public, but I I recorded two songs. One was Blackbird by the Beatles and did that several layers of guitar and piano and another original of mine. And then the trio recently put out, we put out one of my newest compositions, which we remotely recorded. Right. Right. Um, I know that some people have been making, you know, uh, money. Some musicians have been making money through like bespoke gigs or, or private gigs. Um, as a, as a wedding present for my spouse, I, we got a half hour with one of her favorite performers oh, cool. 
Um, you know, and uh, I guess a lot of people are doing that. Is that is that like a viable kind of it, thing? It, really, I mean, it sure is. You know, I, I, early on I played a birthday party for um, a, a guy in India, and he had his whole family on the Zoom wow. call, and uh, it, it was such a cool thing you know just playing and then like everyone would talk in between songs and they'd make requests uh that that, that was the only like private thing i've done like that e- everything else has been just uh you know like going on facebook live and performing and then i could talk to, to the audience and read their comments and interact in that way Right, right, right. Yeah. Cool. Um, well, Pat, what do you should we say some stuff? What do we what we think? What, how we feel about the this CD? Uh, I mean, you know, did you like it? How did you? What was your take on this on on this album? Yeah, I enjoyed it. I think that the difficulty is is I don't feel like I know the musicians, the other musicians. Of course, the singer's a musician. The instrumental musicians, as well as I might, because I'm my ear gets drawn to the, the familiar melodies. And so the, the surrounding of it uh, doesn't penetrate unless I'm lucky enough to really, and it's, it's been hard as usual, carve out time to do that, you know, for headphone listening or intense listening at the stereo. So while I liked it, I feel like I'd be curious to hear just something by the trio at some point to find out about them as musicians. And I, my guess is that I could go back and hear what you guys are adding to doing, you know, with the arrangements a little better because I'd have an ear better for the personalities. I, I do think it's true that with musicians, there comes a point when you start to hear or recognize or just kind of get the vibe of a given player. I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't happen with everybody, but, you know, start saying, oh, that's Lee Morgan. Okay. I, you know, and I know Lee and it's, it's just like a familiar voice that you can pick up and all of a sudden you can focus in it in a way that at least for me, I couldn't before. So, you know, I liked it. I, this tune stack, I love to see jazz musicians playing something written after 1950. You know, <laughs> that, it, it just shocks me how little of that takes place and how conservative the tune stack seems to be on the average jazz gig or even the average jazz album. I don't quite understand. I think some of it may have to do with royalties. I, you know, but, but, why it is that I'm not hearing more people playing stuff from the last 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years. Uh, especially in the Midwest where I mean really our classical music is classic rock. I mean every, and people still listen to the Eagles over here. You know, it, it's, there is a common bucket of music that just for generations in the Midwest people have been, have been saturated in. And, you know, that gets touched on from time to time, but but not that often. So I really appreciated that aspect of it. You know, for me, I'm not sure I buy Life on Mars as jazz as much as some of the other ones. But, you know, it's a cool song. I mean, I love the song. So, you know, it was a song by song thing. I thought that the Lonely Band song was catchy and good, and I assumed it was, you know, from the outside. So, you know, that's a compliment, I guess, saying that, you know, it was a strong tune that I liked. So... That was cool, and it's kind of a cool concept. So, uh, but I wish either I'd had more time with the band, or I could hear the trio first and come back to the band uh, to have a little bit better sense of what you guys are doing. Um, apart from my kind of pop music trained ears, even though I've been listening to jazz for 45 years or whatever, that I tend to focus, especially with unfamiliar things, on the voice first. That's that's, that's my thought. Well, I'll be happy to hook you up with some some trio music. (laughs) I 
I liked it a lot, and um, I uh, I did like the original quite a bit. I thought Lonely Band was was uh, really catchy and hooky, um, and uh, the album seems really well recorded. You can really hear the bass on that, which is always for me kind of a touchstone of whether or not you know I can whether I can focus on anything besides piano. If I can really kind of hear you know the woodiness of the bass coming through, then I'm like ah happy happy. Um, it did remind me, of, you know, with the covers and even some of the selection of the covers, um, you know, um, with a um, with a Beatles cover um, uh, and so on. It did remind me a little bit of the Meldau Trio, but I, I appreciated something, uh, especially given I think your choice of Art of the Trio 4 was canny um, because the workouts on those songs are so long and so ruthless um, and so, and, and so searing that uh, the workouts that, that you get up to on uh, the pop tunes come as they, they come, they, they come, they come as sort of tasteful. It's like you're taking the melody out and then you're, you're giving it a jazz treatment, but we're not, we're not uh, as you sometimes do with Brad Meldow crawling up into your intestines. You know, it's like, it's it's we go out for a you know a minute or two and then we kind of come back and I, I found that a a kind of pleasant way uh, to get a little bit of sense of what the band is about and what you guys do together. Um, I, I thought the way you um, you in particular on keyboards on piano the way in which you um, improvised uh, often in the middle of these uh, songs it, it did remind me somewhat of Maldow but not nearly so ruthless and painful as, as Meldau can be sometimes. In other words, sometimes after I listen to a Meldau album, in particular Art of the Trio 4, I feel like I've just had a thorough cleansing at the, I think I've had a colonoscopy, <laughs> you know? And, and after years, I was like, it was like a, a quick, quick prostate exam. I was like, okay, I mean, it was good. It wasn't, it wasn't, I didn't feel, there you go. Yeah. Put that on your next yes, blurb, that's, that's right? Yes, Better than a better better than a colonoscopy. <laughs> That'll be our press. Quote. No, I mean it was like it was you know it, it, there was there was jazz rigor without a sense of completely at times losing the tune altogether. I mean, so not to beat a dead horse, but uh, I have the Meldow live in Tokyo set, and there are times when he takes a Radiohead song, and pretty soon you're like, where the fuck are we? And I like what he's doing, but I'm like. This stopped being Radiohead 30 minutes ago. You know, it's just he's he's in some weird communion with Bach or something at that moment. And I dig it. But I'm like, why are we even calling this a Radiohead song? You know, um, whereas with yours, I always feel like there's jazz content, but there is a kind of the, the connection between the jazz and the pop content never gets so tenuous as to become invisible. And I appreciated that. I thought that was nice. I enjoyed that about this album. Oh, cool. Yeah, I think it. You know, it's all about the songs for me. You know, as or at least on the ones I'm arranging. You know, I think the the melodies and and the lyrics and all that have to stand out. And and I think the arrangement just kind of has to, in some way, serve the arc of the tune. And yeah, and right. you know, some, right. sometimes we we do want to stretch like uh, the last track, softly as in a morning sunrise. You know, we that that's the longest cut on there and. And that's kind of an example of like how we do like to stretch because we do enjoy enjoy doing that. But I think I, I think right. for for the album, you know, we were thinking more like from the studio perspective and you know making it like also radio friendly, so it's not 
because they, they, they don't like tracks that are too long on the radio. And yeah, and uh, yeah, well, I'm, I'm glad, you, I, I was, glad you dug that aspect of it. I, I was surprised. Uh, the treatment of uh, Softly as in a Morning Sunrise, I, I have not heard the other verses to the song. Or if I have, they've just not stuck in my head. So I didn't realize there was like a Softly as in an Evening Sunset mm. verse, you know, and I was like, every time I heard it, I was like, why have I not heard this before? I feel like I've heard that song a, a zillion times. It's dark, Maybe I man. It's all about death. That's why. It's a depressing I, song. I haven't, he- I haven't heard, you know, the vocals. I mean, I've heard the vocals, but I've never, I, I'm just, I don't remember hearing the, the sunset verse. And I was like, wow, that's cool. I, I, I liked it. I, I, that was like a novel thing for me. Maybe it's just the poverty of my listening experience that I haven't heard that yeah. before. But that was a new thing, and I thought it was pretty cool. I liked that. I was like, why don't more people do this? You know, we should hear all the verses <laughs> on this song. I, I, I think I've only heard instrumental versions of it, so uh, other than Leonard singing it. Right, right. No, I know I've heard um, at least one. Oh, shit. Does, Pat, help Does out. Bobby Darren do it, maybe? Does the Bobster do it? I think he does. I know Darren. I think that's exactly right. I think Darren does it. And I, I feel not sure I've heard another one. But, of course, Darren's version is just peppy and, hey, <laughs> as all get out, you know. Um, it's not it, – it doesn't have any of the somber overtones that this one has. I, who else did you say, Pat? No, that's, that's the only one I can think of right now. I mean, it, well, he, Bobby Darren knew tragedy because he had the foresight to realize at some point uh, Kevin Spacey was going to do his autobiography, so – <laughs> he was haunted by that. Yeah, it was, it was Bob, Bob, Bobby Darren knew tragedy because his heart was—he had a bad heart and he was racing against time. That's what Bobby Darren knew. Yeah, that's right. So anyway, blah blah blah. Cool. Okay. All right. So uh, normally we ask folks, you know, uh, about upcoming gigs and other stuff that's happening that we can help you promote. Uh, how about we help you promote the album? Where do people go if they want to get this uh, and have this listening experience for their own selves? I got a lot of San Diego student listeners. Cool. Um, you could go to lpandthevinyl.com and uh, we, we have it. Uh, you could get it for any price you want. You can download it. Um, if you want to get a hard copy, you can get it at the Origin Records website. I think it's originarts.com. And well, I guess if you go to lpandthevinyl.com, you'll you'll find all the links there. Excellent. And what's up next for you guys? What are you going to be doing in the future? Do you, do you have future plans for recordings, or is that all? Is it all too soon to be thinking about that yet? Well, uh, for LP and the vinyl, um, we we have quite a bit of touring that uh, is or was supposed to happen next year. I guess I guess it's all on as far as we know, but we'll, we'll see what happens. We have a residency out in uh, the Quad Cities where, where we'll be doing a lot of teaching. As well as uh, what's the uh, uh, same? Uh, when is that? Same war because that's close enough for me to come out and hear you guys if you're there cool. a while. I'm pulling up the calendar, but I think it's in February 2021. I may still be here then. We'll All see. right. <laughs> yeah, it looks like February. What is it? 15th through the 20 through the 20th. We'll be out there. Yeah, yeah, Davenport's just two hours Sweet. away. That's close. Yeah. yeah, so so we had that. We have um, 
some gigs out in, I think, in Utah and Arizona for, for LP and the Vinyl. And then as far as recordings, um, you know, no, no, no plans with LP and the Vinyl. I have quite a lot of uh, material that I've written for the trio um, ever since One Day at Will came out in 2018. Uh, I have a three-movement three piece that I wrote for the trio plus strings and um, some other stuff for strings and some stuff just for trio. And I would love to record it. Uh, I just don't know when. You know, I don't. I don't want to be in a studio too much uh, right right now. Right. And also, like right, you know, that our our new album with LP came out right when the pandemic hit, and I I got every you know thousand or maybe seven hundred CDs delivered here. We were supposed to you uh. know have several tours to uh promote the album and now they're all they're all just sitting by my front door and <laughs> we, we, we did a cd release party on facebook which was quite a lot of fun you, you could check it out on our facebook page lp and the vinyls facebook page but basically like we had a moderator from 88.3 the jazz station here and uh it, it was a discussion about the new album, we we debuted a bunch of videos, which are now up on my YouTube channel, and we we brought in special guests, including uh, Tally Sherwood, who um, who recorded the album, Peter Sprague, who who mastered it, uh, Marion Leibowitz, our our agent, and uh, Stephen Papaleo, who wrote lyrics on Night Waltz. Left us standing here alone Have to say before it's too late Please don't leave, don't go, just stay So I can say Stay, stay and dance with me So it, it was super fun time, and we were able to sell some CDs or, or, or some downloads and, and, I guess, CDs off of Origin's website while we did that. But we're looking forward to uh, being able to get back on the road and play concerts and put this uh, music out like it should get out. <laughs> right. Well, I look forward to that Thank happening, you. and I wish you guys all the best. It seems like you have a, an interesting group, and... Uh, and that you're pretty, you know, pretty well promoted, pretty well uh, uh, sorted, uh, given, you know, the amount of touring that you guys seem to be able to do, or at least before. And hopefully you'll be able to get back to that uh, right after they come up with a vaccine. Any, any day. day now. We'll see. <laughs> any day. Any, any minute. I'm holding my breath. I'm just drinking bleach. It's fine. <laughs> well, awesome. Well, Thank you cool. so much for having me, guys. Go ahead, it's Matt been a lot of fun hanging with you and chatting about uh you know th my albums and and the the other albums too cool cool pat what were you going to say i interrupted no, just you. uh thanks so much for coming on we really appreciated it you know i'll be looking out i, I will I, like i said i'm going to try to both and you know continue to enjoy the the vocal album and then look maybe for something where uh i can explore your inter instrumental talents a little bit more so both of those sound like fun. Awesome. Thanks for coming coming over. Thank you, guys. Cool. All right. Thank you.
Do you want to do pop matters or uh, just pick stuff for next time and be done? I, I think let's. I, I, if you, there's something you want to talk about, we can absolutely do it. I, I've got nothing. I, I I've just got nothing. All right. Well, I'll tell you. I, I've got a tiny bit, and I'll give you something to react to, and then cool. we'll just move on, sure. right? So, um, for whatever reason, a fair amount of of ZZ Top has re-entered the rotation. That's fine. Love ZZ Top. Great blues band. Good fun. Blah blah blah. But what has also re-entered the rotation, one yesterday and one today, is part of part of Pat's never-ending program to make my eardrums bleed with his Beach Boys completest fetish. So yesterday, uh, and I just have rules, so stuff goes into the rotation. Um, yesterday, Friends came up from 1968, uh, for which the emblematic track for me is Busy Doing Nothing. So not a big fan of Friends by the Beach Boys. Um <laughs> And then I'm even less of a fan of uh, the 1977 Brian Wilson comeback, Love You, The Beach Boys Love You, mainly because of uh, the Johnny Carson song. He sits behind his microphone. But it's just a weird fucking album. You probably love it. You probably think it's the the musings of a cracked genius. I have to admit, I kind of like Roller Skating Child for some reason. But, you know, it's like... When, you know, we were talking about Brad Meldell crawling up his asshole. Love The Beach Boys Love You is Brian Wilson crawling out of his asshole. <laughs> okay. I, so. Yeah, he's just, he's, you know, I, I, I do like that record. I think Johnny Carson is a brilliant song. You know, there was a movie about <laughs> the battle to, to take over late night after he retired, right? You know, Letterman versus Lena or whatever. Yeah. And I always thought, I can't believe they made this show and that Johnny Carson wasn't the theme song. Oh, what a great tune. But yeah, he is, he is wrecked. And Dennis yep. is wrecked. And it's, it's, it's hard sledding. The only thing that I read that almost redeemed it slightly, slightly for me is I read some review where someone pointed out that if you filter out all of the layered synths, and then one, re- one reviewer actually said this presages new wave. And I'm like, Ugh. Oh, not really. Um, yeah, but um, someone said when you filter out all the synths, it has all the angst and urgency of punk. And I thought, that's almost true. I almost buy that. Well, it's in that genre. There is, I, I've talked about this before. I've been a mixer. There was like, there was a genre in the 70s of just pop music from the fucking edge by people who were either just wasted or had experienced wastage around them, like Neil Young, who was pretty wasted, but not so wasted, he couldn't talk about the waste. So tonight's right. the night, you know, you've got Chris right. Bell's I Am the Cosmos, which mm-hmm. is just like a really rough therapy session. you got Dennis Wilson's solo stuff, Dennis is a wreck, you've got this. You know, this is a whole bunch of records, uh, uh, Skip Spence's Or, more Or, which I, I can't remember that 70s or late 60s. 
but yeah, Skip is just on the way out mentally. He is, he's a rough, he's in rough shape. Um, and you know, they're interesting to listen to, but they're also kind of painful. They are basically what happens when you take too many drugs, right? It's, it's the aftermath of the sixties in musical form by people who just didn't get out of that decade very well. And yeah, so that you could put it in that group. And I, I, you know, most of the songs I think have interesting ideas. I think the synths work fine because they aren't being used as beds imitating strings. They're just weird little sonic toys that, that Wilson plays with. But yeah, he has gotten real strange by this point. I mean, he's roller skating child's weird. The whole album is fucking weird. And it's also just, you know, you've got to put up with like croaking rather than singing in several cases. Oh, yeah. Like, ah. So no one is in good voice on this album. <laughs> no, yeah. But I mean, it is like, the last thing the Beach Boys did of any interest, unless you love Kokomo. And you know, I, I like it, but it, it's definitely for the connoisseur, somebody who really is committed to the Brian Wilson cult, because, yeah, it's just kind of embarrassing. If if you're a normal civilian, I would not recommend and it. And I am. I am a normal civilian. There you go. So That's good to know. I just have, I have rules about, you know, I have this randomized way of rotating things into the mix, and it was just time, and Two days in a row, I get, you know, for me, Beach Boys is pet sounds. Everything else you can pretty much, you know, I know you care about all the many, many iterations of Smiley, Smile, Smilers, and whatever the fuck, but give me pet sounds and I'm happy. Right, right. That's, you know? that's their, their mountaintop for sure. No question. Right. And then, you know, I get these other ones and I'm like, God damn it, like two days in a row, I'm like, what did I do wrong? Why is, you know, and I just, the rule is, you know, if it comes up, you listen to it, it goes to the rotation. Um, because otherwise, you know, I can't justify listening to, it's just, you know, it's good for my ears, but every time it happens, I'm like, fuck you, Pat, fuck you, Pat. You're lucky man. It's all your fault. I don't have rules. And it gives, and yeah, I know you don't have rules. If you don't like it, you don't listen to it. Um, and Jen thinks it's hilarious every time this happens to me. So (laughs) she's, she just, she thinks, yeah, I think it makes her like you more every time this happens. Because I help make you suffer. And that concludes Jazz Bastard Podcast 198. Special thanks to guest Danny Green. If you want to look up his album with LP and the Vinyl, just Google LP and the Vinyl, and that will take you to lpandthevinyl.com. That'll be full of links where you can purchase that product. And of course, Danny has released other albums under his own name that you can look up as well. As always, you can reach us at pat at jazzbastard.com or mike at jazzbastard.com. You can drop me a line on Facebook, or if you like, look me up on All About Jazz. One of our listeners kindly did so last time to tell me the podcast was out of sync. I really appreciate it. I got it fixed, but might not have caught it for days. You can download the podcast from www.jazzbastard.com, from Apple Podcasts, from Stitcher, from Mixcloud, and you can stream it at All About Jazz. Tune in next time as we talk about two brand new works and two works from the past. We're going to discuss albums by Mathis Sound Orchestra, George Adams, Matt Eulery, and Carla Blay with poet Paul Haynes. Till next time, take care.